Yes, hello. It's Jason Louv. Welcome back to the Ultra Culture Podcast. My guest for this week's episode is Zach Leary, who has been on the show before. He is a podcaster, writer, cognitive dissident, yogi, and psychedelic advocate. Here's what the bio on his site says. Growing up in Beverly Hills in the 1980s, he came to realize that the man who often took him to school in the morning and tossed the ball in the backyard with him was not only one of the instigators of the counterculture movement of the 1960s, but also had a front row seat for some of the most important cultural movements of the late 20th century. That is Timothy Leary for my younger listeners. This led Zach to create a path for himself that's been rich with many different incarnations, ranging from digital marketing ace for Apple to futurist to psychedelic integration specialist and advocate. Zach has hosted both the It's All Happening with Zach Leary podcast and the MAPS podcast. They have helped to cement him as one of the most thought-provoking podcasters in the cultural philosophy genre of podcasting. Additionally, Zach has become an authentic and wise voice within the psychedelic community that is unique unto himself. He works on staff with the Aluma Clinic in Austin, Texas as an integration specialist, gives talks around the globe on psychedelic culture and research, and is working on a new book entitled, And Now the Work Begins, A Manual for Psychedelic Integration. All right. So Zach is a friend of mine, and we had a great time catching up been a while since we've seen each other and there's been a lot happening in the world since like you know everything so we had a great conversation and you're really gonna dig it so i should remind you that the clock is ticking the final countdown is ticking for tickets to the introduction to magic course on april 23rd 2022 this is an all-day intensive event where we are going to do a ton of magic in this workshop. You're going to learn about magic, but more importantly, we're going to do a ton of magic to change your life. You bring the intention for how you want your life to change, and we will do the magic to make it happen. It's going to be a great event, so tickets are counting down to the final sale, ending April 23rd, so you have to get your tickets before then. Some people have been asking me on social media how this is different from previous courses I've done, like the Adept Initiative and Alchemy of Chaos. So unlike those courses, which are really more like college classes, they're, I think they're both, you know, four to six weeks each, depending on how fast you go through. They're just really, really extensive master classes that people love who are, but people who are willing to dive in and want to learn everything there is to know bit by bit and really take the time to become a real practitioner. This class is a one day boot up. So it is an introductory course. However, for people who have already been taking my classes, we have something new in store for you. It's not just an introduction to magic, it's an introduction to a completely new level of magic, a completely new style of magic, and basically a completely new era for magic.me as well, and hopefully for magic as a discipline. So I've been at this for a quarter of a century now, which is half of the time since the last time magic got any type of real fundamental innovation in my way of thinking. So I'm talking about the 1970s when chaos magic happened, which was 
a phenomenal moment in in Leeds, England, and then further afield and beyond when practitioners of magic basically looked at it and said, do we really need any of this rigmarole of Golden Dawn and Crowley and all the old stuff and decided they didn't. And they threw everything out, or rather they upgraded it to a meta approach to magic to get the detail. You know, they, they went from the specifics to the generals and boiled it down to the general schema of how magic actually works. And that was chaos magic. And once they figured that out, once they kind of figured out the back end, if you will, of how magic actually works, they realized that they were free to do whatever they want, whatever they wanted with the front end, if you will, of magic, the front end, meaning not the mechanics of how it works, but the aesthetics, the window dressing, the set dressing, the ideologies, the dogmas, the cultural stuff, the gods and goddesses, all of that, all the shiny, flashy stuff that you see on the surface of things like Thelema, Golden Dawn, Hinduism, Buddhism, so on and so forth, Kemetic, Egyptian magic, all of this stuff. And this was a quantum leap forward in occult thought. And frankly, it's a quantum leap forward that most of the occult world has still not caught up with. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, but I, I still think that after all this time, chaos magic is still a revolution waiting to happen. So when people figured this out, they realized they could swap anything they wanted on the front end. And once they knew how magic worked, the rest was just pure aesthetics. And a lot of real creativity came out of that. That was 50 years ago. And, and I've been engaged with this stuff a long time. And I think it's time to simplify it yet again. In a computer programming, there is a, a computer programming, there is a concept called refactoring, which is the process of taking your code and making it as simple as possible, taking out any redundancies, taking out any, you know, spaghetti code where it is overwritten, doing more with less, making elegant, clean, functional code. And that is what I have done with magic again. And that is what we are presenting in this introduction to magic class. I've gotten it down even simpler. I boiled it down to the bare metal all the way down to a process that frankly, you don't even need ritual for anymore. It's going to be interesting and we're going to be doing it in class. It's going to be a really phenomenal experience because my goal as always is to make this stuff accessible so that everyone can understand it because that's the point not all the rigmarole. And that's part of my job. So it's going to be a great class. Introduction to Magic All Day Event. It is live April 23rd. You can get tickets at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. While you still can, the clock is ticking. All right, I will see you in class. And without any further ado, here is Zach. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thank you, Jason. Good to see you. You too. <laughs> this is the first in-person, other than episode 101, which was the, the Magic.me team. This is the first in-person podcast I've done since the beginning of COVID. Oh my God. As far as That's I know, I don't, I don't think I've done it. Like, not that I'm aware of. It's all been on Zoom. So this is, this is quite an occasion, actually. Well, it's great to see you in this bunker in the middle of Nebraska, you know? 
Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the the, the, in undis- the the bunker in the undisclosed location, and we're both suddenly in Nebraska in a bunker. So yeah, how weird yeah. is that? It's well, that's that's magic with a K. You know, right. you can just teleport. So yeah, it's it's well, we were just catching up a little bit before getting on the mic, just about where we've been at in COVID and just the insanity and yeah, people's varying levels of conspiratorial craziness and and yeah choose your own adventure realities you know it's it's kind of this this ecosystem right now where if you want to pick a reality and go down that that rabbit hole you will find all your supporting documentation and and community to support whatever it is that you want to believe in so it's I, i wouldn't even call it cognitive dissonance anymore i would call it just like hey you know you're going to believe whatever you want to believe and that's how it's going to be, you know? Yeah. It seems like that's not going to go away anytime soon either. It's like the people are just going to get more and more siloed, but which, yeah, I don't think anyone's really, maybe you have theories on this. Like what's the long-term fallout of this going to be psychologically? I mean, we don't really have a sense of what, like basically what course the last two years or have, have, has put us on, right. You know, what train track are we on at this one? Or maybe we're on infinite train tracks going in different directions. We are. And, but I think it's really interesting to look at the pros and the cons, like some of the pros being, you know, currently I heard some kind of loose statistic that within the last six months, there have been more $100,000 a year jobs available than at any time post-World War II, because once restrictions live were lifted after COVID lockdowns, people were like, fuck it, I don't want to go back to work. You know, I don't want to go to your corporate domicile and slave away doing this shit. And we're talking like good white collar tech jobs and strategy jobs and stuff like that, you know, a world I used to be deeply part of. And people are kind of searching for deeper meaning. Like, yeah, I don't want to work for the man anymore. There's got to be some way I can kind of create my own thing, create my own niche. This is the time where I could finally start taking those guitar lessons, those French lessons, and like spend time with my family, do more yoga and shit like that. And there are... Get into magic. Get into magic. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Two psychedelics with me. There you go. And yeah, and that's like, and that is real. I'm seeing a lot of that. And that's pretty cool, right? But there's this other side, right? This sort of like we were talking about before, this undetermined long form sort of cousin of agoraphobia, which is, you know, isolation anxiety. People have to venture back into the world now after being cooped up for 18 months. And like, how does that look? How does that feel? And especially with, you know, so many polarizations and belief systems, it's, it can be pretty traumatic, I think. Yeah, I, you know. we were. I was. Yeah, I was asking you off mic what that's called because I wanted to self-diagnose with it, <laughs> yeah, right? But, like, but let's name it right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I certainly have not been out of the house for probably a long time. But yeah, one of the one of the weirdest things for me during this whole time is how easy it's been to forget that everyone else is going through the same thing. Right. Like it's so, cause right. if, if I'm not barely seeing anyone, it's just like, it was so easy for me so many yeah. times to be like, you know, why it's like feel targeted and singled out. Why is like my whole life collapsed? Why is this, why is this happening? And, and, and I think that human beings have such a deep social need for connection mm-hmm. that, I mean, we know from scientific studies that when you are 
kicked out of a tribe, whether it's being fired or from a peer group or a team or some band, something like that, you know, we process it like we're being exiled from a tribe and we're going to die because we're not going to be able to eat anymore. Right. So like actually like social isolation causes all these insane, like killer diseases for people because we're just, we're meant, we're, we're just evolutionary hardwired to take exile from a group as like a death blow. Right. Right. And so it's so hard not to just say like, well, what did I do to deserve this? What have I done? It's just been like, and just not seeing one. It's so easy yeah. to just forget that everyone else is pretty much going through the same thing. Yeah. That's really interesting though, because if you, you know, subtracted or went back in time, you know, however many thousands of years into like hunter gatherer, you know, tribal kind of setups, the exile would have been fatal like literally fail, right? I mean, your survival, you needed everyone else to survive because that's how it worked, you know? And these days, fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, I don't know, you can walk into a store and just buy your food off of a shelf. And But there are some, probably some deep hardwired kind of, you know, some kind of hardwired gene within us that is like, oh shit, exile is not, Yeah, this is not safe. It's not safe. I think it's, it's well, it's not, you know, know? I mean, it's, it's certainly not, it's very brittle long-term. It is. I mean, it is, but I think, you know, in the best of circumstances, the idea, like, I'm I'm not saying this is an easy thing to obtain, but if you're kind of backed into corner and are feeling this way, sort of the forced recognition of having to go within, to look within and to, I mean, I'm, going to quote the most overused phrase ever, but to truly be here now and to really see how that feels, to see where you're uncomfortable, to see, hey, what's appropriate, what isn't, where do I feel unsafe, where do I feel like I'm thriving, or any of those things. It is, a, it's kind of deep spiritual work. The, the tricky part is it was forced upon us. That's where the rub lies, you know, if everyone kind of made a conscious choice to, hey, I'm going to go within and isolate and meditate and do all these things would be great. But because it was forced on us, I mean, most of us weren't ready for that, right? I wasn't. I don't think anyone was ready for it. Although I will say, you know, I was a shut in anyways, because so, you know, it wasn't too much, (laughs) but so I felt a bit prepared for it. I remember going to, you know, I, I, I used to go to a flotation tank place in Pasadena called just float. Oh, me too. I love just float. It's great. Oh yeah. I love yeah. it. It's yeah. like, those are like the sweetest people there and the nicest tanks. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like so, so good. Like I really, but I would talk to people there and they would say, I mean, this is LA, but they would say, you know, people come in here and like for them, they've never spent an hour by themselves ever. Mm. I mean, we're talking about a city full of drama kids, right? but it's same, but maybe that's not it. Maybe just people are just so used to, you know, there's infinite stimulus in our, in our culture. So. Well, I mean, that's, this is the first question I ask somebody who comes to see me for a psychedelic session. It's who is newer to psychedelics. Can you sit and do nothing for six hours? Do you really know what that means? Or do you just kind of think you know what that means, but can you really just sit still and do nothing with a blindfold on for six hours? You know, it's like, Hey, in theory, you know, all the stuff you've read. Yeah, sure. It sounds really good. But when you're there yourself and like, and it really, you know, causes you to 
dig deeper into what surrender means, you know, to what letting go means. I mean, much like an isolation tank, right? I've had times in an isolation tank where I've been like, fuck it, I need to get out, and I pop open the hatch because it's getting a little swirly. And I've been meditating for a decade, you know, and it's it's hard to do these things. But I mean, back to the original seed, it's like, for me, it's I find tremendous comfort in knowing that, hey, I'm not the only one feeling this. I'm yeah. not alone. Yeah, whenever I, I always need to kind of like check in and remind myself of that. And because for me, it's weird. It's like for me, the world doesn't feel real anymore. And, you know, How does like, it feel like, man, it's like the multiverse sort of like cybernetic fa- fabric? No, not even like not even <laughs> cool like that. I just mean like it's kind of like just like for me, like my little orbit it is real. And the rest of the world is just like something that yeah. happens in the news and on the Internet now. And it just doesn't feel like mm. it's for some reason. I'm, I'm, I'm I just basically I'm, I'm yeah. feeling saying that I'm feeling depersonalized, and I'm probably yeah. pathological. But, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but also by the by, in another sense, it's like the internet is the real world now. You yeah. know, people communicating on Zoom and all of this. It really became the real. I mean, I was doing that before COVID because I was teaching on Zoom. But now everyone's doing it. It's like, now that's the real world. That's the public commons. Right. And, and that's really odd. But it's also kind of cool in some ways because now everyone, you know, it's actually really, it's actually quite, in a sense, convenient to talk to people on Zoom. And it's kind of nice in well, some ways. It, it, I mean, it does. It is interesting because it does speak to like the original ideas of, you know, the original sort of cyberspace, Jaron Lear, John Perry Barlow, renegades who were like in the early 90s mid-90s cyberspace is a place it's the place you are when you're on the telephone it is a place it is another dimension that has its own characteristics its own kind of rules and behavior kind of like neo in the matrix or something like that and here we are you know cyberspace is it's it's a home now you know the world is being run on it yeah and it's it's like and what you you know like your interactions with people on twitter matter in a way they didn't you know it's like like you know how you comport yourself online yeah really matters it really matters whereas before it didn't everyone was just kind of like anonymous that's why i took a a break from facebook because i i was starting to notice the way i was presenting myself on facebook was not the person that i ultimately wanted to be you know (laughs) yeah 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 no for sure i i definitely have stepped away from instagram because i was definitely like during like in 2020 i was kind of like using instagram as kind of my place to vent and satirize what was going on but eventually it just got to be just like just yeah this bad scene it's it's, so it's tricky yeah you choose your words wisely you know and i also think it really speaks you know to deeply to the idea of identity you know who are you now you know and that who are you now kind of idiom it can change every millisecond you know you're constantly like adding on these little tangents to your identity and to your parts and then you can really get lost into becoming like sort of this cyborg kind of non sequitur you know where wait who am i am i this am yeah. I, that? I don't even know who i am yeah i mean this whole experience has been very i mean forgive me but very psychedelic in a way just in the sense that <laughs> you know i find myself sitting from day to day particularly when you know i was in total isolation and literally i was seeing nobody for <laughs> several months but just from day to day just realizing 
all the stuff that you do when you're in isolation, it's like you have whole dramas in your head. You have whole conversations <laughs> with people who aren't there, like all for multiple days, like running arguments for like two weeks and it feels real. Yeah. And, and, but you're, you, you come up with all of this stuff to create a whole universe or maybe it's all running anyways. You just become aware of it because you're, you're by yourself and you're just aware of just how much Maya you're generating internally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the Maya question. Yeah. I mean, what, but what, what, what's the way out? How is this going to look? And, you know, in the end, that's, what's really interesting here because what do you think? I, I don't know. I think it really, it does really speak to, you know, I'm, I've always been fascinated with the idea of our misconceptions around evolution. You know, human beings have this default kind of position that we have evolved we're going to keep it evolving. People tend to forget that, you know, I mean, homo sapien 2.0 hasn't really happened yet, you know, so what is homo sapien 2.0 going to look like? And I think this is the beginning of that. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, even if, if, yeah, I mean, mRNA vaccines, you know, it's like the beginning yeah. of genetic modification and CRISPR and transhumanism right. and, and all of this. So yeah. And, and a big part of me, I'll say a big part of me is definitely like, afraid of that and probably a bigger part is just like all right fuck it let's go for it you know like let's see what happens it's interesting i was just interviewing the male wolf guy for um the maps podcast and he's a, just a really brilliant guy you should talk to him for your podcast but his vision of 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 the future was it was a really kind of beautifully artistic reassuring viewpoint it was just like you know it all lives together in harmony it's all true you know, it's like, it's that old Tom Robbins quote. I believe in everything and nothing is sacred. I believe in nothing and everything is sacred. It's all true. And it can all live in harmony together. And this moment of whatever genetic modification, transhumanism, AI, living in cyberspace, you know, these were all ideas that were waiting to happen mm -hmm. in mass at some point. I mean, there's been books written about, you know, the, the um, implications of that for, for, 20 years now but now that we're starting to see it happen i don't know i don't really see it I, i'm not as fearful of it as as i used to be it just this is what's happening and let's just yeah. you know i'm not either i'm i'm in fact i'm 100 percent focused on just i'm 100 percent focused on tech now uh, mm. it, it's for, because it's happening so quickly i mean the lockdown forced the metaverse to happen it forced people finally to right. start getting into vr but you know blockchain ai all this stuff <laughs> just everyone being on zoom for one i mean right. no one talks about this as a new technology but i think the biggest thing is just everyone being on zoom that's i mean what was that you talk about the 90s you know the idea that the internet was going to make us all was going to interconnect the world and make us all buddhas well you know maybe that's an ongoing work in progress but yes, we're all is. being interconnected for sure and i think part of the reason why everything seems so can seem so why we're so affected by things like Ukraine or QAnon or things like craziness, things like this, because we're all connected to it and we can't get away from it, you know? So, but that's, well, wasn't that kind of the, this is kind of the point of that, that's the here. idea. Yeah. Right. That, that, I mean, that's, and then I have to remind <laughs> right. myself, it's like, this was kind of the ideal idea all along, right? This is what it, this, so of course you're going to, if you're going to connect to everything, everyone in the world, you're going to be connected to people who are going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the whole idea of Buddhism is to bear witness to all of it, including the suffering, you know, I mean, 
the first noble truth it's centered around su- suffering i mean it was the first thing siddhartha kind of came to was that you've got to observe the suffering and realize that everybody's going to suffer no matter your caste you know or your your yeah. situation and watching everyone witness each other's suffering and kind of create these narratives around it like the ukraine one is a, is, is a fascinating one because i mean we we have to call it for what it is yeah, I mean, it's a terrible atrocity, no question of it. But the reason it's getting so much attention is because it's a European country. You know? Oh, yeah, for Th- sure. These things happen in Africa all yeah, the you time. Never, you, never heard, <laughs> you never heard anyone complaining about refugees this time. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that's interesting. Interesting, yeah, right. Okay. Huh, okay. <laughs> oh, right. Now, now it's not a problem. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's huh. just like how many other wars are going on in the world? It, yeah, in it, Africa, it, there's warlords creating coups all the time. Right. Over countries, I mean, you, you know, know? They're, they're Yemen, right? But it's just like, right. so, but it, it is, but at the same time, it's like, that's certainly not to downplay what's happening. That's it's awful. Just like, yeah. It's terrible. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I, I, it's one of the first times in my life, maybe the first time in my life, because I wasn't alive for World War II. I'm just going through my head. Yeah, it might be the first time in my life where I've actually kind of taken a centrist point of view on it. Like, you can't just go and take over somebody's country, man. You know, and it's like, yeah, I don't like, I'm a pacifist. I don't like military action either. But if ever there was a time to like, dude, you just can't go take over a country. Right, you know? right, right, right. And create false narratives, disinformation about it. Well, you've got to stop the, these neo-Nazis and all, you know, right. the, all that the bullshit Russian propaganda that everyone knew wasn't true. You know, the Well, there are neo-Nazis, but it's just like, that. that's for sure true. But, but not the, in those The numbers. idea that that's why they have to destroy Ukraine is yeah, kind of like... Exactly. Okay, yeah, 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 no, that's yeah, what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, of course there are, but... Yeah, yeah. and there's definitely... There's, I've seen so much knee-jerk... I was talking about this on the podcast a little earlier. I've... I've I noticed in myself an immediate knee-jerk reaction of, oh, they're telling us to get into another war. Fuck that. And also, I noticed a knee-jerk. But then I was like, well, have I examined that? And also, there's also the knee-jerk reaction of a lot of people to just be like, basically just like, flat out support Russia because anything that hurts the U.S. is good. Right. People have kind of shown their their true colors there a little bit i think but back to the isolationism thing you know there are a lot of interesting stories around but people kind of were uh, you know very intense students of of putin's whole kind of ecosystem is that this is a result of putin's isolationism huh you know say him, more about that of being him being isolated as a result of code for the last two years, him becoming increasingly more paranoid and megalomaniacal. Oh, you mean him personally? Him personally. Like isolationist policy. No, no, no. Oh, him, him personally. No, him oh, personally. Wow, wow. Okay. Yeah, and him essentially going mad. His inner circle getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Even like, you know, um, uh, you know, some of the more kind of international playboy Russian oligarchs telling him, hey, Putin, this is, Vladimir, this is not a good idea. Him telling him to fuck off. You know, in his circle with him just kind of it's wow. Yeah, it's a, it's madness. Yeah, I don't mean political isolation. I mean his personal, like, you know, here we are talking about our personal isolationism. But imagine if you're the leader of a country, what can happen when you go? Wow. When you're alone maybe, and crazy and yeah. rich. <laughs> maybe, maybe he should have been on Zoom a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Talking to people. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's really scary. I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of like trying to like basically just like bail from russia or get off team putin really fast but yeah but yeah it's kind of happening here too i mean jen's from what i understand jen saki's bailing to go to msnbc so 
Yeah, that, which is interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, yeah. What, what's what, I thought she was so good at that. What, right. what, what, what's she doing? Well, they've been really yeah, obviously they've been not to go on a tangent, but like it seems like yeah. they've been pretty frustrated with Biden making gaffes and you know basically saying, yeah, we got it. We're going to invade Russia and like this type of thing. So I don't know. Oh, I'm not. I there's no point in speculating, but but that's really interesting about Putin. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can, wow. I can almost you know, try to just play make believe, you know, what if I was, you know, a, a, a dictator of a, you know, a giant European country and you're I was, already paranoid and I was already anyway, paranoid yeah. ex KGB guy, you know, yeah, who, who's already created this huge you know, army of like disinformation operatives, you know, it's like, you know, there's tens of thousands of people supposedly like employed and like in these giant office buildings in St. Petersburg, whose job it is all day is to, you know, scroll through their two dozen Twitter and Instagram accounts, just spreading. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and it's like, wow, this is what that looks like. Yeah. It, it would kind of like, it would be like Trump taking over Canada, just waking <laughs> up one day and just saying, fuck it. Well, that would be hilarious. Yeah, well, until it wasn't, but yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, I remember watching an interview with Putin from like four or five years ago when he, they were like talking to him about how he stayed in power for so long. And he said something like, well, you know, I learned from Fidel Castro, always choose your guards yourself. You know, it's like, <laughs> so he's already pretty, pretty tightly wound, but as, as you would be, I suppose. Someone asked me recently, and I guess they were kind of serious. One of my students was asking me, um, what do you think if, if Putin um, did a heroic dose of psilocybin? What, would there be any self-awareness there? Would there be any, you know, I don't know. Compassion. What, do you, what, what do you think? I know. I think no. I get think more paranoid. It, I, yeah, I think it would just, you know, exacerbate the condition even more, you know, destabilize him even more. Yeah, yeah, maybe he might see just it feel more and more vulnerable, you know, just seeing, seeing like seeing how thin of a thread everyone hangs on and just being like, I just need more power to protect myself. You know? yeah, absolutely. But and that would be not just him, but I think anybody in that in that type of position. Yeah, I, well, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there are so many people who have, you know, taken psychedelics at like a mid stage in life and kind of had a 180 you know, kind of that huge kind of cosmic mirror moment of self-reflection to where you're like, wow, okay, this is not the person. Yeah, that's why I don't do psychedelics anymore. I don't want to self-reflect. <laughs> you don't want to see <laughs> No, that's what I'm saying. I'm like so into tech. One of the reasons I'm so into tech is I don't want to feel anything, you know? It's just too much, just too much, too many bad feelings from the last two years. I get I was it. like, I'm happy being totally, you know, unself-aware cyborg, but yeah. I, I, my last, I only do psychedelics once a year at most now, and my last one was a couple of months ago, and it was... It was tricky, trickier than most, you know, it's a lot more to navigate. And I did sort of get into that, that moment of like, wow, yeah, maybe I don't need to be that aware right now. <laughs> yeah, I did trip once during COVID and I ended up screaming at us at a toy skull in my closet, which represented like <laughs> monotheism to me. It was just, yeah, it got hairy, but yeah, desert God, I did a terrible song about it for the podcast. Yeah. So yeah yeah that was that was that was a fun one but so you're but you're teaching you're teaching this now right yeah so maybe i should have taken your course instead of just you know. <laughs> i should and yeah i should take your course too i know many people who have who really love it um yeah i i teach a, a course so you know for the last several years almost seven years now i've been 
I guess what they call an underground psychedelic psychotherapist. But the whole my whole practice was really it began at the behest of uh, traditional therapists who were referring clients to me, who were like Zach, you'd be really good at this. You you should do this. And I I really started to formalize my process over the years. Um, a large part of that was due to me hosting the MAPS podcast and having access to some of these great modern psychedelic scientists and seeing their protocols and understanding their studies. And, and, um, uh, oh, he's cute though. Um, and just making sense of that and kind of developing my own voice of how I see psychedelics working on the 21st century brain and spiritual condition. Um, but about, Nine months ago, I turned it into a course, an mm. online course, and it's eight weeks, 16 classes that are basically set up to teach people the different mechanisms, rituals, scientific studies, histories, dosage protocols, do's and don'ts, um, spiritual implications of what it means to work with people in psychedelics. Um, cause it is a, it is a pretty nuanced field, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing, which yeah. is, yeah. And that, that was sort of my big inspiration for the course was like, as much as I love what's happening in the modern psychedelic Renaissance and I love the work that maps does and everything I do, I do have tremendous fear over the over medical medicalization of it. Oh, okay. Why, why is that? Because I, I don't want, if psychedelics, if the future of psychedelics, if the ending point is, okay, now it, it's a legal therapeutic tool to treat people for their various mental health conditions, that's amazing. It should be. Of course it should be. But if that's the end, that does nothing to change the cognitive liberty discussion. Right. That we have the the power, we should be having the power and freedom to alter our consciousness as we see fit, you know, yeah, as, as no, you choose. And, but, and then it'll be as, as your doctor sees fit. As your doctor yeah, sees as fit. the pharmaceutical companies see fit. Right. And yeah, no, I agree with you. There's definitely a danger to things coming out of the underground for sure. I mean, at the very least things get watered down. Yeah. But there's also the danger of it becoming like, oh, like, you know, here's your LSD microdose to work better at your job well, today. You know? Oh my God. Don't give me, I mean, the whole mic. <laughs> The whole me, I'll get you started. Like, yeah, I mean, the whole microdosing thing. I mean, yeah, of course, it, it's it's a powerful method. It is. But that's exactly what you see with microdosing in the West. You see that. Oh, my gosh, they're doing it in Silicon Valley, and they could be at their desks for 30% longer per day. You know, their cognitive and, and function has improved so much. They're better workers now. And it's like you hear that more than you hear all their spiritual well-being is improved. Yeah, no. The, you know. Let me ask you, I've never thought about so this before, American. but let me ask you, if you if you if somebody is microdosing every day in a corporate environment, what do you think that does over long term? Are they like re-imprinting to like take that on as their complete identity or are they slowly going to kind of break down cuz they can't stand the contradictions of No, I think it, a, you know, I think it's the former. I think it's the former because microdosing the dosage isn't big enough to have the the spiritual transformation. It's just, you know, the dosage protocol is based more on like, it's kind of more of a biohacking tool than it is a spiritually transformative tool. It's aimed to mood, well-being, homeostasis within like your cognitive functions and your prefrontal cortex, you know, things like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's more the former than it is. I, you know, I don't wow. think, yeah. So basically, they have this tool to make people more moldable. 
more moldable. Yeah. And and so the original idea of LSD from the CIA. Yeah, exactly. Like we can mold our yeah, just population. lower doses, and you'll see. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah. that's that's pretty dark. It is it, it is dark, but I mean, it is like for people who are you know suffering from you know tremendous mood swings and haven't really found a way to or they've used other tools that aren't working for them um it is a great alternative to that no question yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting i mean it, it seems pretty unstoppable legalization seems pretty unstoppable at this point from what i or maybe i'm wrong I mean, or medicalization at least I, I mean the medicalization for sure it is. I mean, I mean, we see what's happening in Oregon right now, but I just hear so much of like, you know, in the, in the current movement, it's like the over hype of the medicalization model and all of these companies. I mean, like there's this company out of England right now who's literally setting themselves up to become a psychedelic pharmaceutical company. They're trying to create an international patent for set and setting. What the fuck? Yeah. Like literally like they want to own the patent for lying on the couch Yo, and putting on an eye mask yeah as if that's the only way to do it is how the, yeah and i mean that's just insane right i mean this, that seems i mean could that happen? i mean monsanto has patents on seeds that grow naturally so, yeah exactly i mean like <laughs> it's kind of like a monsanto approach to it and what you know and i'm just have to go back to you know the ogs in this movement it's like this is an open source technology that's been used for thousands of years across indigenous cultures from anywhere from the tip of South America to Siberia and everywhere in between, you know, have used. Yeah. How can, how can you, how can you possibly control like the, the most inherently uncontrollable thing? Yeah, exactly. Right. You, you can't. The thing that's meant to break control. I mean, the, the argument of, you know, the pro medicalization model is that, for whatever reason, the Western mindset needs data. So if people see that uh, people, the powers that be who really have no interest in psychedelics, but they have interest in legislation and telling you what to do and what not to do. If they see, Hey, this works in a therapeutic setting. Like for instance, like it's really weird in Texas right now, Rick Perry of all people is stumping out there stumping for, um, MDMA therapy with vets. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> how did that happen? Exactly. I have no idea how that happened, but he's doing it. And, and like, he's out there, you know, with these, these lobbyist groups saying, yeah, these vets need these medicines. Did you just start, start like start partying and have a come to Jesus moment? Or <laughs> right. The real Jesus. Yeah. And in, in this vice, a little mini vice documentary, you know, they asked him, Hey, if, if, if these were legal, if, if you could do this in a controlled therapeutic setting would you do it he said absolutely wow yeah right <laughs> holy Interesting. fuck that's yeah. what they, they should give putin mdma that's what you should that's that's, that's what, what you should do yeah so i mean but so people need the data to show to see like it's not so much a spiritual thing or cultural thing they need the data to see that it is safe and then hopefully that can ripple out into the recreational world afterwards and which can in turn affect the you know the whole scheduling bullshit i mean fuck, even as of this minute as we're doing this, you know, cannabis is still a schedule one narcotic, which is absolutely insane. Right. That, that'll it's change ridiculous. within the next couple of years. But yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird time in this moment. It's a beautiful time. No, no question. I mean, there's more research happening in the last 10 years than it's happened in the previous 60. So I would, that's good. Yeah. It's, it, it really is exciting. I, I would hazard a guess that 
one of the reasons why cannabis legalization is so unstoppable is because people figured out how much money they could make money, which is like a freaking ton always comes so, down to the, the economic implications. And I wonder always. if psychedelics or MDMA have that same, I'm not sure they have that same potential because it's not like something you're going to like do every day after work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I've said that, that a lot too. It's like, there's no way there could be as many mushroom shops as there are cannabis shops. It's a much smaller audience, but the, the, you know, the risk versus reward ratio in terms of like, you know, money spent, you know, the DEA regulatory arm against psychedelics versus how much money could be made via legalization. You know, I think everyone, even the most extreme right wing people are waking up to the failures of the modern war on drugs. It it's a quagmire. It's the very yeah. definition of yeah. a quagmire. Yeah. Well, from the right, yeah. you can clearly just, I mean, you know, right with extreme right wing people, can just easily go for the libertarian argument, yeah, which exactly. is like it's an infringement on states' rights or individual rights or something like that. So. It's an infringement, on, yeah. And even if you if you don't take that argument and you just look at it as like, oh, you focus on the Mexican cartels at the border and everything like that, that's all driven. That's all narcotics driven, yeah, by based off of Western American demand. So the, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, it, it's we're talking generations of this now. So it's clearly it's unsustainable. But we're also talking generations of, you know, money being made by the incarceration system, by also whatever you know the the cut whatever cut you know U.S. agencies have with those cartels, which is I mean, not none. Have you, so. do you have you heard of doc, Dr. Carl Hart? Mm-mm. Oh, he's great, man. You should. He wrote a great book called Drug Use for Grownups. He's a Ivy League Columbia professor, professor, African American guy, dreadlocks. He wrote this book called Drug Use for Grownups. Tenured Ivy League professor. Oh, is this the guy that, that got the buzz for basically people were saying he's, he's saying we should legalize heroin? Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he, okay, he I know this guy. Yeah, yeah, he I does. I don't know him, know him, but I'm a, I'm, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and, and he'll attest to like, yeah, every now and then on a weekend he does a bump of heroin. Just like anyone would drink a glass of red wine. This is like Tucker Carlson. This is like a gift to Tucker Carlson. Yeah, exactly. Ah, we know what we're doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But he really, he'll always bring it back to the economics. You know, the whole prison industrial law enforcement complex is built around incarceration numbers. Yeah. You got to bust him for something, you know, and right now that's, if it's not directly involved with drugs, it is an indirect. It's like. Okay, maybe it's not the buying and selling, but it is the armed robbery that you did to right do right whatever. Because why do people do armed robberies? You know, to get money for drugs, right? Yeah, and and yeah, and absolutely, and people are probably hopefully more aware than ever now. It's like the the racial dimensions of that are pretty undeniable. It's it's ravaged every American inner city in in America. But I mean, know? also the incarceration. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and people make a lot of money off that, you know, for-profit prisons. Yeah. I mean, so it's 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 a tangle of darkness that's pretty hard to look at, but it's really hard to look at, but man, I mean, that is one thing, you know, we were talking earlier about uh you know, always cyberspace has this kind of phenomenon of the world always being on. You know, it's always on the world is on TV right now, 24/7. The good part of that is these kind of topics and ideas are not, they're not shrouded in darkness anymore. And that is a big 
to me, that is a big win for the cyberspace column. Like, these aren't conspiracy theories that only weirdos who with tinfoil hats believe anymore. This is real data right. that you can't run from anymore. And that is thanks to big data. You know, there's the information being yeah, out there. Yeah. You know? Although, I'll, and I agree with you. I'll take a counterpoint, which is that we had the, I mean, we had Gary Webb in the 90s. Like, the data was there. Mm. And, and there's, there's also, I've yeah. noticed there's the weird you know, as much as I rag on QAnon and things like that, there's also the, there's a weird counter effect, which is because people are now so overwhelmed and bombarded by things like QAnon. Now, essentially it's just so easy for people to just, and there's too much for anyone to keep track of that. Now it's like anything that is not on CNN is a conspiracy theory. Right. Like, and it's just like, right. it's like categorically <laughs> shut off. Right. right. And, and, and then you can see the contradictions because of CNN changes their narrative, whatever, you know, that whatever they were saying last year was a conspiracy theory. Well, then that's a conspiracy theory. It's like literally just, yeah. Do you think, I have a question for you. Do you think Q, if this is a person, right? Do you think it was done with intent to actually make a point or it was done as just a big fucking joke just to see look at the power of media and i can just create disinformation here and just see how this is all gonna unfurl well i i think it was done as a troll i remember seeing some of the original q threads on on the chans and it was clearly just somebody shit posting like clearly and i don't think that there was you know, it was like just somebody went on 4chan or 8chan or whatever and was just shit posting like, oh, yeah, like I'm work, I'm deep in the government. And it's like people used to do that on the chans all the time. Right. And but then it like people it got out of hand and somehow it crossed the gap between from the chans to boomers on Facebook and they don't have that irony filter. So they're just like, oh, yeah, like QAnon, you know. And so it's somehow right. like got, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, lab leak theory. It somehow got yeah. out of containment into the, the right. mass population. But I, having seen some of those original threads, it's like, I think, because the whole Chan world is like, for me, just like the modern Cliffhoff and the modern is just fascinating to me. But the, yeah, I, yeah. I think it was a, it was a, you know, biological it was like a, it was a troll that got out of containment. I don't think the people that were originally writing those threads meant for this to happen. But after okay. a certain point, it's like you can't get it back. Yeah, the genius yeah. out of the bottle. Now you've got right. like Jim Cavazio, like things like this, like yeah, saying and- we got to get the the pedophiles out of uh, out of office. And then I remember seeing like like apparently that when the Russia thing started happening, the QAnon people were saying the QAnon people were saying like, oh, you know, Putin is invade getting the pedophiles out of ukraine and like <laughs> like yeah it's like oh yeah no like he, he he and trump are like teamed up and are 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 secretly going to war with the, the satanic pedophiles it's like really <laughs> yeah and that's so interesting what you said the irony filter man that is really like yeah you see these you know midwestern housewives who like don't have the irony filter and don't understand that like i think information is nuanced you know that you have to kind of look at the various octagonal qualities of it to really piece it together. It's not just black and white, but they only see it as black and white, so they take it and run with it. Yeah, that's you know? really easy for me, and that that was always my Hillary's problem. emails, Hillary's emails, Hillary's emails. Yeah, 
Hillary's know, emails. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Trump actually like shredded all of his emails. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Now that that's easy for me to forget. This was where this was actually like one of my problems with social media trolling, which is that like I'm, you know, I grew up as a sarcastic goth kid in the 90s in like peak edgelord <laughs> culture of like feral house and apocalypse culture and just like the impulse you know never underestimate the impulse of like certain people to be you know or just like smart bored kids just be like you know what's the most fucked up shit we can possibly like right. watch or get away with or troll people with and i remember prank calling people in the 90s and just like fucking with people and things like that which i don't recommend but and and but after like you know after a certain point it's like you just you just see it's like everything is like built up with such an irony filter yeah because you're so like desensitized with like all the chaos you know and then it, but then it's like you forget that people don't have that and they don't they don't see that it's a joke right so that's the problem it's just like like for me it's like always like you know what's the most extreme stuff that i can inoculate myself with and yeah, like, they, they don't see it as a joke and also it gives them armor for their predisposition it's like that's what i was trying to like get to earlier it's like especially around like big you know the big ugly social qualities like racism or discrimination or war hawkism anything like that people like are looking for ammunition to like if that's what trump did trump gave people in mass permission to be a racist asshole you know, before it's like, okay, they were still there, but it became incredibly like incorrect to like put that out on front street and Trump said, Oh, fuck it. Go on be that way. And here's all the data you need to be that way. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you, that's basically what it is. You know, I remember like there was so much, I think actually even the last podcast we did, like at the beginning of the Trump phenomenon, there was such a, there was a, a tendency to say like, well, you know, these people have legitimate grievances. They're talking about, you know, they're, 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 no, they, they just hate at Obama. the end of the day, it's like, you know, it is what it looks like. It's exactly what it looks like. It's exactly like. what it looks like. Yeah. They hated Obama. You know, they hated the, there was a, black, a successful black guy as president and that he did it as far as American modern politics go. He did a fairly decent job. And right, they, and right, they that, right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And Hillary is fucking. There's tons mess. to criticize Obama for. <laughs> oh, tons. For, for sure. Tons. But, but yeah. But as far as the the, the the chessboard goes, you know, I just don't understand how anybody in this current ecosystem and the way the system is set up could be a successful president as you and I would define it. Right. I think it's an, well, yeah, it's an yeah. impossible job. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and the, the Republicans didn't make it easy for him either. No, they didn't. Yeah. I mean, I think even if Bernie Sanders became president, I don't think it would be as great as you th think it would be. No, no, no. You know? He'd just be obstructed. He'd be obstructed left and right, left and right. And like, yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things, it's like you really have seen like the kind of this is the uh, yeah, I've always gotten a little frustrated with the like all the ins like the insane Q shit or racist conspiracy theories and things like that. Where it's just like, look, there are legitimate reasons to criticize the government before going down the satanic pedophile shape shifting lizard, you know, <laughs> racist insanity route. You know, it's like it's like this is counterproductive, but <sighs> but isn't that like an insult to like? I mean, you know more about the occult and magic than probably anyone isn't that just like such an insult to like the deeply thoughtful and like intellectually and spiritually provocative schools of the occult is that you know 
pedophile lizard people running around and people just using those stupid bumper stickers to it almost makes the occult seem like trite in a way yeah well even more frighteningly it's kind of it's basically shadows of the satanic panic that's the even scarier thing which is like if you really look at those QAnon people like i remember like you probably remember the satanic panic right it's like i remember when like in the 90s this has been coming up a lot on the podcast for some reason it's like i remember in the you know i remember when i was in fifth grade and the cops were coming into class telling us not to play dungeons and dragons with people in robes because they were going to like take us into vans and sacrifice you know rape us and sacrifice us in ceremonies and all this stuff and it's like i remember when adults believe this shit and this was Mm. pre-internet but it was also southern california it's not like deep baptist yeah you know and it's just like gore yeah Mm. and and it's just like that that is the amount number of lives that were destroyed and just in, in the satanic panic and the insanity and the effect on people, you know, like you look at people like Damien Eccles, you know, it's like ended mm-hmm. up on death row. Right. And it's just like, just the propensity for people to be gullible like that is, it's just never going to go away. I think it's part of America. Also, it's, it's if you look at the witch burnings, you know, there's just like this aspect of America that everyone in America, you know, the early, the early, settlers from europe were religious nut jobs who were kicked out because they were too weird to deal with and then they came here and what did they start doing they they well now we're at the top of the hierarchy we're going to take it out on native americans we're going to take it take it out on black people we're going to say there's witches we're going to burn people it's like you know i mean that's just human nature i suppose but well you know ergot played a role in that yeah yeah Yeah. that's really interesting yeah it is right now supposedly there's even a some anecdotal archaeological evidence to support that like the wheat and rye crops did go bad those years oh so so that's more yeah Yeah. so talk about that theory for people who don't know about it it's so like take the salem witch trials for instance right there is some written evidence that so ergot is the closest biological form molecularly similar to lsd and it comes from rye mold so and uh, yeah, and uh, and b- back in ancient Greece, the Kilusian mysteries like they intentionally cultivated it to create a psychedelic intoxicant. But in you know 18th century America, that was not that was not done, and the rye crop, suppose crops of those two or three years around the time of the Salem panics, they did go bad, and there was probably some ergot poisoning going in going around and and extremely <laughs> pious religious people were just seeing anything different or that resembled paganism as like oh it's fucking satan that's so good <laughs> yeah. yes everyone was just having a so so there's more evidence that this because this, I, I know people were a little bit dismissive about this before but it's like it's becoming more more validated it's becoming a little bit more validated yeah i don't think we have hard archaeological evidence but there seems to be some some proof yeah yeah that's the great that's the thing about the occult too you're talking about like you know trivializing the occult and stuff it's like you really got to look back at history and some of the times when these beliefs come out of and obviously there's a lot of profound useful transformative awesome stuff in there or i wouldn't be doing what i do but you know meditation for instance you know focus focusing your life on a, on a goal things like this but at the same time it's like you look back at a lot of this stuff of like just this like loopy supernatural wackiness and it's like you know you got to remember it's like these are illiterate people mostly illiterate people this is before the internet people were probably 
you know, malnourished. They were, or and they were like on ergot wheat poisoning and things like that. Yeah. Also, people a lot of. Do you know about Datura very much? A little bit. Yeah. Have you ever looked at the trip reports for Datura on Irawid? I haven't. Okay. No. If you ever want to laugh and, okay. and then also be totally terrified, definitely check those out. So Datura okay. is something that people were doing a lot of in the Middle Ages. And it makes you hallucinate that demons are there. And so the trip reports are like, yeah, like I took some Datura and then my Bible started bleeding and a werewolf came out of my oven and, and attacked me. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just like, it just sounds like straight horror movie shit. And it's oh like, I've God. never done it and I don't want to, but it I seems like, but you look at, it was in all these you look at all these things about like stuff, witches, cauldrons and brooms. And one of the things about Datura is it can be uh, vaginally applicated, uh, applied. I don't know if applicated is a word. Okay. So you, it, it's easier to make a, an ointment out of it. And that was, so that was the flying ointment and the whole thing about writing a broom. Well, you know, you fill uh, in the blanks. There you go. So wow, kinky. Yeah. But oh I mean God. that, that stuff, you know, that henbane belladonna, it's like, these are real noxious poisonous plants, but yeah. it, the right dosage will make you trip, but like have these bizarre medieval, you know, demonology trips apparently. <laughs> so, you know, that explains a few things potentially. Yeah. And then when you combine that with illiteracism and, 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 uh, fundamentalism and then you get that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. just the propensity for, you know, when there's not a whole lot of information for just rumors to spread in a village and people to start believing it, you know, which is the same. And then, and then, so to, you know, and same, now it's the same it's now the same just on thing. a big, bigger level, you know, QAnon, it's like you were saying about human evolution, like how much have we really changed? Yeah, it, it is the same thing. And like, you know, some of the, these, these metrics that you see from like pollsters or stuff. And, you know, I hate to say it because it sounds really classist and, and, and mean spirited and it's not meant to be, but you know, like the vast majority of anybody who shows up to like a QAnon rally, um, for any subject, you know, uh, um, you know, the vast majority, um, are uneducated, didn't go to college you know, and just, you know, how that domino falls, you know, and it, it kind of speaks to like, wow, okay, well, we're kind of in the midst of an education crisis as well. You know, the lack of critical thought, the lack of critical thinking. Well, that's you not know. just, you know, that, and that's across the board. That is across, it, it is across the board, but I do think our education system has failed so rapidly i mean it's not like you're seeing you know people with iqs through the roof at QAnon rallies you know it kind of right. tends to aim towards the lowest common denominator well yeah it's really hard and that, that i've always been uncomfortable with that because it's really it is really easy to get into a classist yeah i know and i don't like that part of yeah. it either it bothers, but, bothers me too but those numbers are provocative yeah for sure mm. but yeah <laughs> Plus, it gives people the ability to say, you know, it's like it's, it, it gives people who are don't have a lot of power to say, well, you know what, you know, I might I might not work at the New Yorker or something like that, but yeah. I know what's really going on, and that's one of the scary things about about fascism. One thing that I wanted to ask you about before I forget is we were kind of talking a little bit off off mic. And I was curious because you're you're kind of doing the psychedelic therapy now, yep. like how you've seen 
people's consciousnesses change or where people are at now versus prior to COVID, like the challenges that people are going through, where their minds are at, where their anxieties are at, or just what, you know, are people approaching psychedelics and maybe even spirituality in different ways? Yeah, it's a complicated answer, but it, it, there's a lot to it. Um, one for starters, five years ago in my practice, fewer people were coming to me for mental health reasons. People were coming to me basically for spiritually transformative reasons and everything that means whatever. You know, it's pretty vague, but wide open, right? I just want a deeper, I just want deeper meaning in life. You know, I need, I need to see more. I need to feel more. I feel stagnant. I'm not seeing my life as big as it could be. I don't feel like I'm living my most authentic life. That was pretty much the basic intention for anybody coming to see me. These days, there is, there are so many layers of kind of your, the core five mental health, trauma, depression, anxiety, and um, addiction, um, and anxiety. Um, you know, those certainly, you know, it's not like they're, they're anything new or anything, but they have, whether it's self-diagnosed or because a doctor has told you, it's kind of irrelevant. The amount of people that are coming to me for these issues that have some kind of connection to the last two years is it's through the roof. Okay. It's absolutely through the roof. Maybe they've, it's a result of the last two years. Maybe it's them just noticing it because of the last two years, because of being isolated and those little symptoms that have been with them their whole life have now just magnified. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, there are so many, so many reasons, but I've really, really seen the fabric change in the last couple of years. And it's, it's, it's really tricky as doing what I do because we, we don't have any, we're, we, we're making it up as we go along, you know, right. there, there's no, you know, there's no precedent. Yeah. And, and no precedent. I, I imagine like anyone who's providing therapy is also going through the same thing. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, I know from what I understand, it's like, you know, therapists are in real high demand. I mean, I, from what I understand, like, you know, no matter what type of therapy you do, it's like everyone's booked out because everyone's going through crisis, but, but therapists are going through the same thing. So therapists are going through the same thing. And, and it's tricky in the psychedelic landscape because, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that whatever you're coming to use psychedelics for, the solution is going to be mystical in nature. Whether you want to identify it as that or not, that's up to you. It's a semantics thing. But the way through it is going to be spiritual, mystical, divine, magic, whatever, however you want to call it, in nature. Yeah, well, you know, you know me, me being me, I, I will definitely agree with that for sure. But I will also counterpoint, like, sometimes it's not. And, you know, like, I, I, hopefully I can say that, me being me. It's like, yeah, sometimes it's just like, you, you, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, you know, you got to get the basics of life sorted. You know, it's like employment, relationship. Oh, absolutely. All of that. And there's a lot of stuff that's just like, you know. It's just, no, that, I mean, the, the, yeah, and that's the other part. Like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, it's like, 
food shelter relationship. Yeah, this is why when I teach magic, I I focus so much on on real world stuff. It's like use it as a tool to to make your life better because I just know people will, but I know that people will come to the mystical spiritual thing eventually. Cause how can you not, if you're doing stuff like that, but, but yeah. Yeah. But if you're like, you know, your hierarchy of needs is, is not met and you are in crisis in any one of those issues using psychedelics is a really bad idea. Oh yeah. Really yeah. bad idea. It's yeah. just going to exacerbate it and make you hyper-focused on it and you're not going to be able to mm-hmm. get through to the solution. You know, I've found that a million times in my own use, you know. So you're saying you kind of need to go to the highest level then? Well, at least in somewhere in the middle, yeah. you know. Okay. Yeah, if you're coming to a session and you are, you know, I mean, a really basic example is, you know, your home life is crazy, toxic, and verbally abusive. You know, that's this isn't going to help you. Right. I guess that's kind of what I mean. It's yeah. like sometimes you just got to do the thing that you've been putting off, yes, like get absolutely. out of that relationship, a- you know, get a job, whatever it yeah, is. And I don't think psychedelics are the wake up call to make that happen for no. you because uh-huh. that'll make it really painful. Um, but yeah, there, there's this whole phenomenon I think we're all experiencing. And I mean, God, I, I left Los Angeles due to, you know, a personal crisis of my own and, you know, working with people who are going through a similar thing. It's, you know, yeah, maybe I can help just because of sort of the empathy quotient. You know, I understand I've been there and there is a way through it. But what we call it, what we name it, what it looks like, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I talked it's at weird. the beginning of the pandemic. I, I had Cole Marta on. And oh, yeah. Cole's yeah. great. Hmm? Cole's great. Yeah, he's yeah. really, he's he's a sweetie. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this because this was, that was like May 2020, something like mm-hmm. that. And I was just saying, and it had just been locked down for like a month. Mm-hmm. And I was just, you know, I was talking to him because I was saying, you know, like, what is this going to do for people after a, a month of isolation? You know, like at the time, low and God forbid. But yeah, yeah, just wait. But I was saying, you know, it's like people are, because I was noticing just people like afraid to interact with each other on the street, like looking away from each other, you know, people cringing from each other, the mask thing. And I was like, this is really badly imprinting people to be separate from each other. Well, now it's yeah. been like, what, 18 months or something like that. How long has it been? Two years? Two years. Two almost, years. Yeah. 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 It's been and two years. I don't really have a sense. I mean, people are pretty much out of isolation now at this point i think i'm in perma isolation because i'm still traumatized but i think they are i think they are and you know i always i do have to look at 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 the positives like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast it's you know i think a lot of people have woken up to the illusions of separation you know what that what that really means and how it's how it is an illusion the maya being addicted to the maya for instance and that you know there are a lot of people who have kind of come through this wiser stronger you know more kind of spiritually equipped you know i i do i I have to hold out hope for that i think there is a lot of i mean it just people are it's well i mean for one the whole fundamental structure of industrial society is being rethought in real time in real time and that that's kind of intense I mean, kind of intense thank you jason yeah yeah it, it, it's a big deal so <laughs> whoa but just what you were saying about like people you know i think the days of the days of the big corporate office are for by and large probably well, certainly not going to be the same anymore it's not going to be it's the not same. over again yeah and if that's if if i mean what what are the knock-on effects from that if you know well that means that commuter culture 
is never is maybe that's not necessary anymore. And if commuter culture is not necessary anymore, maybe suburbs and cars are not necessary anymore, and so on. I mean, those are the the really the really you know, big ones for sure. But we're seeing really short term things right now, like with the you know industrialization just being flipped on its head, like things like the supply chain being heavily disrupted. Yeah. And that may seem like it's kind of an interesting news story and worthy of commentary and punditry, but that does affect each and every one of us. Yeah, or the supply <laughs> chain shock from the sanctions of Russia. It's like if you yeah. want your lesson in interconnectedness, like here you go. Like yeah. all of a sudden gas and food prices are through the roof. Right. So Yeah, and if you think globalization isn't real or you're not a fan of globalization, well, hey man, you've been in it. It's been happening. And look. <laughs> yeah. You know? This is one of the most like true and 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 just like frustrating points that that buddhists make which is just like you're stuck with each other you can't get away from people it's like it's it's you know yeah. we can't get away from each other as in, as much as we try as a world we are all interconnected whether we like it or not yeah you know i mean i sometimes i try to play that just sort of fun mind game of sort of picturing you know the world being so much smaller as it is now you know, imagine when it was just like 150 years ago with the world seem, seeming so vast and infinite. And, you know, God, 100, even 100 years ago, what was happening in Ukraine, it didn't matter. Or even... It didn't matter. The, the, you know, the <laughs> 1980s. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like or where everyone thought they were plugged into the whole world, but compared to now. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been pointing out to people is like, and particularly in connection with the Ukraine thing, is... You know, younger, I think probably we both remember, younger people do not remember so much what it was like to live under the threat of mutually assured destruction. Right. You know, the whole idea of, it's amazing, it's like younger generations don't have the whole idea of you're all going to die in a nuclear blast. They don't have the idea right. of you're all going to die of AIDS. Right. You know, it's like that just this didn't exist. But now maybe, at least with nukes, it's like, and COVID, it's like, maybe it does. Right. You know, now it's all, it's all coming back. It's, it's, it's in fashion again. Yeah, it's funny. I watched war games again recently. Oh no, that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah so South Park made fun of that. They made, they did a war games. Episode. Oh, they did? Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. About, about Russia and people trying to be nostalgic for it. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't seen it in 20 years and wow, it felt so nostalgic and small. <laughs> yeah. So... Where are we at? I mean, I don't know, man. It's a, it, it, it's, it's all, and it really is a brave new world, not to be overly cliche about it, but it is the brave new world playing out in front of us. And I think, you know, we've got to welcome all of these changes. We've got to, we've got, we have to, we have no choice but to welcome them. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you push back too much and force resistance and which only creates tension with everybody else around you which furthers the idea of the illusion of separation and conflict. You know, all of these things need to be, you know, I mean, they need to be worked out in real time with this overarching sense of cooperation. You know, if, if you don't sort of have this kind of your inner Buddha compassionate lens on, um, it's going to be a rocky, a rocky road. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And I've learned that from, it really came to head for me with leaving Los Angeles and being in an environment that was, um, you know, had people who didn't live in the bubble like I've been living in from my whole life, 
you know, and kind of interacting with them and saying, oh, okay, wow. And realizing that essentially, it pains me to see it, say it, but like, hey, you know, a lot of these people are really good people who ultimately just want the same thing that I do. You know, they want a good life for their family. They want some kind of sense of fulfillment. Who do you, do you mean? I mean, you like, mean? I mean, like Trumpers. Oh, I see. Instance. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Or people who are on yeah. the opposite end of the ideological mm-hmm. spectrum. And having kind of been around them now for a little bit and kind of getting to know some of them, at the end of the day, they really don't want anything different than I do. It just looks different. Right. Well, I mean, you that's. Know? Isn't, that's probably true for everyone. You know, it's like yeah, human beings I, are not that complicated. But I didn't believe that before. Oh, okay. I, uh, yeah, that was the thing. So you're, you're softening a bit. Yeah, my bubble was so firm. The blue state bubble. The blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but not even the blue state bubble. I mean, the blue, you know. The blue state I mean, I got into the bubble within the bubble within the bubble. And yeah. the way that I grew up, you know, I mean, you know, my dad was a real, because of what he went through and his the way he was persecuted, he was a real us and them kind of guy. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. He was not a Ram Dasian compassionate trying to love and get along. He was kind of a really acerbic, dry, like, you know, fuck you if you're dumb and stupid and racist and just like you're a part of the problem and would be really difficult about it and okay. wouldn't try to find the solution. And because of that, really only kind of surrounded himself with, you know, finding the others, finding his, his, his you know, his like minds. It's like know? bunker mentality. Yeah, bunker mentality. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that was a result of what he went through himself. But, sure. Um, but and I understand why he was that way, but learning that there's a difference took me a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jen was, we should talk about Jen. Jen oh, was yeah. very similar. Jen was ultra bunker mentality. Because yeah. of what Jen went through of getting, you know, having to leave England in self-imposed exile under threat of death, basically, yeah. you know, and then, and you were around Jen as a, as a kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. You were around Jen, like right at that time, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. What, what was that like? Yeah. It was right around that time. I mean, Jen was, when I first met Jen, Jen was still with Alora and the kids and they were like living in their house, you know, as kind of. They, they were living at your house, like right when they yeah, landed they, in America. Right? They had no place yeah, to go yeah. kind of thing. And they were living in our house, Jen, Alora and the two girls. And yeah, I mean, Jen was like militant in his anarchic brilliance, I guess, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. We should, we should just for people who don't know that story, I mean, if you want to tell that story of, of Jen getting, I'm curious to hear from your perspective also of Jen getting, kind of going into exile from... Well, tell the basics. You know more of the details. Refresh me and I'll jump in. So I know that I definitely know the details from being around Jen in the 2000s, but you saw it on the ground. So, so the, the general details being that in, so we're talking about Genesis Peorage. They were running the Temple of Psychic Youth, which was a kind of agitprop, you know, occult group as performance art. Yeah created because it was Jen largely just to get just to get the goat of the English and British establishment. So the goat was gotten right. and Scotland Yard raided Topi. This is so so this is sort of for some historical context, there was this thing in England in the eighties called Operation Spanner, which was this is why I need you to tell the story because I forgot about these things. Yeah. Wikipedia this. I want to make yeah. sure I got to get this right. But basically they were you know this was the eighties Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher had said things like, you know, AIDS patients should be in concentration camps. And, you know, there was this 
this air, this kind of feeling in the air of like, you know, gay people are to blame for AIDS and right. it's God's curse on them, which is what the evangelicals were saying. It was just a horrible time. And, and then, but there was a police operation by Scotland Yard called Project Spanner where they were targeting people who were doing consensual piercing and tattooing right. and saying it was grie- grievous bodily harm. And then they were locking up basically anyone who was in the SNM culture or piercing or anything like that, which obviously Jen was a big part of. Yeah, the modern primitive. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And so they, they, yeah, they locked up this piercer named Mr. Sebastian that Jen was friends with who was just for doing consensual consensual stuff so so they they had seen some topi or psychic tv videos where it looked like there was some kind of like ritual bloodletting going on and because it's jen it's like a lot of it it's like this is classic jen like part of it's real part of it's not right just just like fuck with people's perception but nothing's you know nothing was going on other than you know jen's crew of hippies doing kind of like body mod stuff you know yeah but jen was really yeah you know, so ahead of its time, especially for that era, because Jen was essentially creating like a primitive form of like YouTube channels, creating, yeah, creating yeah. like VHS tapes, short form VHS Psych tapes, TV. Yeah, TV. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, VHS as zines. Yeah, right? as, yeah. as zines yeah. and spreading these little micro messages around and, and using media to do so, which was way ahead of its time way ahead yeah, yeah. and and was re- largely responsible for a big part of popularizing tattooing and piercing in the first place right and yeah that whole mo- modern primitive lifestyle but so yeah like so apparently like somebody who was in a christian ironically also in like in a cult in a christian cult made all these accusations that you know about they were all living together in brighton they were saying like, oh, they have this basement where they're sacrificing kids and right. making pregnant women eat their own babies, and they didn't even have a basement. Right. right? So they, so Scotland Yard raid. So Jen was in Cap. The whole family, from what I understand, was in Kathmandu feeding refugees in a soup kitchen. Real sinister. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they were literally like working in a soup kitchen in Kathmandu, and while they were there, they got a letter saying, "Don't come home." Mm-hmm. And Scotland Yard had raided and taken everything jen's entire archives Hmm. her daughter's like care bears blankets and videos and things like that and that's still no one knows the archive of that at all and actually jen used to say that that your dad said to jen that they must have done that raid because they wanted all that information right because there was so much or they thought that there would have been stuff on how to mind control people all this occult material something like that so to this day nobody knows where that is or the the sigils that they were doing and things like this and so but it was a huge media thing jen had already been such a wickedest man in the world type thing in the media from throbbing gristle that you know like england is like it's basically like QAnon, right like english people are like this too they like periodically go on these like insane like mob mentality crusades against pedophiles which let's be fair england is full of pedophiles but right. you know it's like right. any chance like, <laughs> but but sorry but <laughs> but you know that's like that that that's a national obsession so you know basically the the feeling was that if they came back like they probably you know people would have burned attacked them or killed them or burned their house down even if they weren't arrested right so then apparently they ended up in northern california they ended up in northern california and jen had this uh you know really um you know, this deep sort of affinity and kind of uh, almost a prisoner of war kind of love for my dad because they went through a similar path, you know, being persecuted for 
essentially ideology, not so much practice, you know, and Timothy was as well and did four years prison for it. And so they really bonded and they really bonded and really had that sort of, you know, I mean, I don't know how else to call it other than just a real punk rock, you know, kind of punk rock intellectualism around the whole thing, you know, and really, um, you know, kind of a, a, a beautifully poetic kind of fuck you way at, of creating art and dissemination of, of ideas, you know, it's yeah, pretty intense. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I met Jen in 2003 and Jen was still real traumatized from that period and still, you know, like every, like every, Jen would constantly talk about like they, like they're out, you know, they're up to something. They're out to, you know, they're basically they're out to get me, but it was kind of this an ongoing narrative of the shadowy forces behind things. Some of which is accurate, you Some know, of but it was, was true. But I think yeah. when you're in the middle of it, it becomes, you know, it's much harder to distinguish what's true and what isn't because it, sure. it's affecting you so deeply. But you know, what I love about loved about Jen more than anything, and it's a very similar reason why I also had so much respect for my dad, Timothy as well was this ability to reinvent this ability just to throw it all out the window and just try something new and create sort of like a gen 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 and never stop evolving yeah. and, and taking it, putting your art in a blender and trying something new, never relying on the greatest hits. So oh speak, yeah. Yeah. You know, Jen, I never saw Jen slow down once ever, ever. And it was just yeah. like to the point of just like, please take care of yourself. But it was just like, no, it's like, we're going to, we're rocking this till the wheels come off. Yeah. You know, I have stuff to do. And, and it was just like, don't you, you know, it's like, just please just, just look after yourself a bit better. And she did. But, <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, when I met Jen, I mean, Jen had kind of reinvented is like, they got real into Santa Maria for a while in New York, but she was kind of living in Ridgewood in New York with, and that was with, you know, I, I knew Jen with, was Jen and Lady J for me. Yeah, sure. You know, I never knew Alora, yeah. So it was, it was that era and the whole Pandrogeny era. Yeah. And then after Jay died, it was kind of, you know, it was, a, it was dark for a while, but kind of Jen. Jen was heartbroken. I mean, it never was never, never stopped being heartbroken. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was, it was a real dark time yeah. and, and it was real dark for me too. I was at the funeral, you know, it was like a real, it was right. That I took that like straight to the chest Yeah, because I was around at that time. Okay. That's like when I was around the house. Hmm. So yeah, but then Jen kind of reinvented as kind of like art world, you know? So yeah. But, you know, towards the end there, what I also really loved about Jen, too, is, which often goes overlooked, is Jen's contributions to modern music. You know, like oh, the, the last PTV3 tours, they were really good. Musically, they were really, really, really yeah, yeah, really, like, dialed in. And it wasn't just, like, this anarchic noise-making collective. It was, like, a really dialed-in, you know, industrial rock and roll band. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. And I went back and just coming over some of the early PTV Throbbing Gristle catalog, and it was like, wow, you know, without PTV and Throbbing Gristle, there would be no Nine Inch Nails, there would be no ministry, oh, definitely. you know. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, Trent Reznor got his start 
the same way I did, which is carrying luggage for, for Chet, you know, like backstage. So, yeah, which and, is pretty funny. And yeah. Trent gave a, a big financial donation when Jen was sick at the end yeah. there. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, I was, Jen was real tough. I was glad I was able to do that. Jen was very touched by that whole campaign and said it, you know, showed her how much people actually cared because mm. she didn't, you know, she, I think Jen was always, I want to choose my words carefully, mm. you know, really did feel like a perpetual outsider yeah. and, and unloved yeah. by the world and it was very bitter about having made so many contributions and feeling unrecognized for them, which, you know, like, let's be fair. Mm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's hard. Especially when you see, you know, your peers around you who did get the external rewards, you know, right. it's, that's a hard thing to live with. Yeah. You look at people like Trent Reznor yeah. who did con contributed quite a lot to that campaign. Actually. Oh, absolutely. So, but yeah, yeah, but it's a hard path for all of you listening. Do check out the Jen's body of work, not just in music, but in print, media, video. Yeah, even find the modern old modern primitives book. It's it's yeah, old school. Yeah, it's an amazing body of work. Yeah, and I haven't really. I don't think I've talked at really about Jen passing on the podcast very much, but that happened right at the beginning of COVID. And I oh, haven't, man. it's, it really, it was a dark moment for me personally. Yeah. It was really dark. I was in a bad way myself personally. And Jen reached out and I was kind of not able to show up mm -hmm. in the way that I wanted to, because I was losing, losing it myself. And it was hard. Really the same with me. Yeah. Same, same. I, I think that's probably one of the, one of the things about people dying is suddenly you realize, well, that was my last interaction Fuck, with them. I missed it. You know, yeah. yeah. Did I show up? Yeah. Maybe I didn't. Yeah. And that's, that's tough, but that's, I guess that's just, that's, that's, that's life in one sense, but it's also just a reminder to, you know, care about people while they're here. Yeah, and that is unfortunately a lesson I haven't really understood until I got a little bit older. When I was younger, I thought, oh, well, yeah. why, why wouldn't they be here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Suddenly, it's all too real. And awesome. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 Well, not to end the podcast on a somber note, but, you know, <laughs> still. It is a, well, I think, I do think, it, you know, I, I, Jen was ridiculously ahead of her time. I mean, Jen was a true future mutant, oh you know, God, a yeah. true mutation of the human species. I mean, I don't think anyone could argue otherwise. And, and, you know, laid so much groundwork for so much to come. And that was one of the reasons why, I mean, I spent five years working on the psychic Bible. And the reason that I did that mm -hmm. was because coming out, you know, coming out of that experience, I did that right after my first book. And it was just like having been around Jen, it's like, this needs to be preserved mm. because prior to that, it was like, you know, Jen's kind of basement full of papers and it was just like, this needs to be there. This needs to be permanently preserved. That's amazing. Or, or it's, it's just going to be lost and right. it can't, it just is, it's not acceptable. It can't be lost. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. So, you did that. Yeah, man. 
But I mean, that's just part of that. I mean, so many books with Jen have come out now. Carl Abramson, Abramson has been doing some, a bunch more came out and there's the music and there's it, Jen's life is well documented, I think. And I do think that there, I did hear rumblings about some mainstream documentary. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if might've been prime or something, but someone is going to take a stab at it. Yeah. Well, they should call me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, 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 that. Yeah, one way or the other. I think that we, we will see the the effects of of Jen's work probably for another hundred years or more. And you look at the you look at how how much somebody like Crowley is still affecting the world mm. and will be for a long time. You know, and people still haven't caught up with these people still haven't even processed that Jen existed in a sense. Wow, that's interesting that you brought it back to Crowley. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> sorry. No, that's no, I, I, I often overlook that, but it, it's, it's true. It's true. You know, Crowley had mm-hmm. something like just a few, a few people reading his stuff when he was alive Yeah, and now he's more influential than ever. Huh. You know, so people really do have a certain people, I think do achieve a certain sense of immortality where they become like an artificial intelligence you can interact with. That's what, that's what some people are like, you know, I mean, look at the effect that somebody like Marx or Freud still has on the world, you know, that's, and that, that is a certain way for, that's one way for human beings to achieve immortality. Another way is just to have kids. But I think that there is, there is that, that's another way to do it. You know, when I was talking with the male wolf guy, you know, their big vision is to, make everyone a contributor and a collaborator to these giant sort of interactive multi-dimensional art spaces right now they're kind of three-dimensional you know you pay a ticket price and you go into the building and you get lost in this experiential vortex which is amazing it's really worth doing but meow wolf 50 100 years from now is everybody's part of it you know every and it's it's really kind of an encouragement to like the better angels of our nature is that we all have a creative seed inside of us and we can all contribute to the story and if we use technology and spirituality and divinity and love and compassion and creativity in a unified you know collective we will be better off for it well i think we just have to keep trying because i and and in a sense i feel more optimistic now than i ever have partly because of the power that technology gives people, but also just because real, you know, getting, you know, getting, getting slightly older and realizing mm. you can't rage quit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I've had, so I rage quit a lot in my life. And one of the things is like, Oh, like, you know, like the original dream of the internet that it's going to bring us all together. Oh, the corporations have ruined it. It's like, well, well, so what, you're just going to rage quit. Right. And it's like, and then you kind of look back on that. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. Well, they definitely, it definitely stops happening if you, if you stop contributing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you just gave up. Yeah. So, so, you know, I definitely did go through a a period in my late twenties of just being like, (laughs) fuck this. But, but that didn't work at all. To me, the internet is, is the great metaphor for it's all true. Yes corporations did win but yes it did bring everyone together and yes disinformation is real but yes 
there are more amazing creative artists disseminating their art sure. than ever before. Using corporate technology. Using corporate technology. YouTube, it's know? it's yeah. all happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Corporations are not separate from the human race as much as people would <laughs> like to think so. You know, it's like we're all, you know. Yeah. And if you have to use the corporations to communicate the idea that the corporations are the problem, that's the idea. That's but what are, I mean. are they the problem? Even? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, They've made my life better, <laughs> but yeah, that's it's. But that that goes back to the bunker mentality and, right. and us versus them, and and I don't know. I'm I'm definitely interested in. I'm inter interested in in surviving, and in my life, surviving means just like taking whatever approach works and adapting to what what you were saying before, like adapting to what's on the ground. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about your projects and where people can find um, you? And you can find me at zachleary.net. Um, yeah, my, my course is, is happening. It's happening again in, uh, in June, another cohort assembles in the current one is just about to end. Um, the maps podcast available on podcast channels and, uh, yeah. So you, you ho you're the full-time host of it. I'm the full-time host of it. So are you still doing your podcast? It's kind of on a hiatus right okay. now. Yeah. Just cause it's probably hard to do two. It's hard to do two to write a book and to teach the course. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I just can't do it all. I can ma manage maybe two of those at any yeah at, ways, so. at any given moment. And yeah. uh, but I'm really grateful for the opportunity Maps has given me to host their podcast because I I have free reign with it. That's great. And even when I disagree, they it's okay. You know, we can we can all be in there together. So this is called the Maps Podcast. The Maps Podcast. Nice. Yeah. So. All right, and, find me. and you said people can find your course at your website. Yeah, exactly. We're done yeah, that. that. Click on the second really tab. Sounds very helpful. Yeah, thank, thank you. It's 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 been great. I've had uh, I guess over forty people take it now. Um, it's a great group. The group size is limited to fifteen people per per cohort, so it's really interactive. Nothing is pre-recorded. It's not canned material. Um, that was a really big goal of mine to not just make pre-recorded content behind a paywall. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, yeah, I have syllabus for every module, but we evolve as a group. Every group dynamic is different. I find that's a really important part of it. Like yeah. whenever I like teaching live for me is a lot easier because I can have the group dynamic and I can kind of gauge where people are at and go back and forth. And I feel that when I'm teaching live, something it just kind of comes through me yeah. instead of, because I'm actually teaching instead yeah. of just staring at a camera and trying to do something canned. Yeah. I don't know how people do that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, not, really it's not hard. For me. It's, it's not really for me. hard. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's not my approach. But thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. It's been great to see you. Yeah, good to see you. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely did. Make sure to meet us in class for Introduction to Magic, our live all-day immersive event on April 23rd. Get your tickets while you still can at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, and I will see you in class.